This episode of the Doctors of Running podcast is sponsored by Running Warehouse. Fall is here and winter's coming, which means it's time to get your cold weather gear ready. Just because it's chilly, though, doesn't mean it has to be uncomfortable. Take the Ultra Soft Logo Long Sleeve from Sky. A team favorite, its moisture-wicking, super-stretchable fabric is a delight to run any distance in. The Rabbit Easy Collection has been a favorite of the team since day one, and their easy joggers are no exception. We're completely unashamed to say we've gone from run to lounge in these joggers many a weekend. Finally, for you morning run warriors who have to embrace the darkness, the Brooks Run Visible Collection provides both comfort and 360-degree visibility. For all these and more, Running Warehouse has you covered from top to bottom with their fall outerwear shop. Visit the link in the description or head straight to runningwarehouse.com to start shopping today. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Doctors of Running podcast, where we, a group of doctors of physical therapy, discuss the art and science of running and the stuff that we put on our feet. Today at the roundtable, we have Dr. Matthew Klein and myself. I'm Nathan Brown. I'll be hosting. And today we are going to be talking about tissue healing timeframes and return to run criteria. We actually had plans to do a full episode regarding posterior tibialis tendinopathy, and a lot of the questions that we got from you all, and by the way, it's been really fun because we put out a question and we had so many responses so quickly. It's very fun to have that sort of engagement with you all, but we got a lot of questions that centered around this question about how long is it going to take for me to get back? What do I do if it's not going to get back in time? How do I know if I'm ready to get back to running? So we thought that that was actually a more foundational question, that there is a decent amount of literature around and a lot of clinical experience around that we have in working with runners. So we wanted to address those questions first. And if we have time at the end, we're going to circle back to a couple of the specific questions that we got. But that is the plan for today, and we are really excited but first, Matt, how are you doing in the midst of everything that you've got going on? I mean, uh, not I'm, I'm honestly really exhausted. Yeah. I love being a dad. It's awesome. My daughter, who is nine weeks old as of yesterday, um, as, as of the time of this recording, is doing really well, very motor-driven, very happy, very healthy. Uh, it's just hard to do multiple jobs and, uh, keep this going, but I'm doing it. We need to do a a dad episode on like how to survive, uh, running work relationships with, while uh, with a kid. I feel like that's a whole nother episode, but it's good. Just a lot going on. Yeah, it is a lot. It's a lot, a lot, a lot. And it's a lot of fun, but it's a lot of work. Um, And for you too, you know, you're the nine weeks in phase. And so there's still a lot more in terms of what your child gives back to you in terms of like smiling and engaging in fun things. Like I have a, with a six and a four year old, they play with me. You know, we play together. We, we do things where we joke around that early phase can become draining because there isn't a lot of reciprocation, um, from, from the baby and you're starting to get there now, which is awesome. Yeah. But I also had to almost laugh when you said, like only PT would say, like she's very motor driven. Like that's Dude, your, she's that. <laughs> eight, eight nine weeks. She she's rolling already. She's wow. got independent head control. Uh, what else? She's already like fine motor. She's already grasping and pulling on things. And I'm like, very oh my fun. gosh, like you are progressing really quick. It's just I'm watching. I'm like, oh, this is interesting. I don't know how much exactly. I'm affecting that, but yeah, it's interesting. It's great. Can't turn it I think off. I think most people, I would say including myself, I kind of like my PT self is like checked at the door when I get in the house. So much so that Jana's like, I wish you would bring home like your massage type skills, your soft tissue stuff sometimes. And I was like, ah, that's left at work. I'm just kidding. Yeah. Um, but 
she we have joked about that before. I had a whole class in PT school yeah. on soft tissue mobilization, and my classmates went to her because we were married at the time during school, and they're like, "So you must have loved this semester because we had the like massage class." And she's like, "Y'all had a massage class." <laughs> I was like Shoot. classic spouse and family member. By the way, when we get home, the last thing we want to do is do soft tissue work on I, other people. Well, and I yeah, and I just I I got I went home and I was just home. You know, I have a yeah. pretty like I, I separate those pretty starkly, which is which is probably hopefully a good thing. Hopefully but a good thing. Yeah. Anyway, uh, so let's let's get back into it and what we are here for uh, in terms of subjective. We are going to be talking about kind of general stuff regarding tissue healing time time frames. But if you have a specific tissue that you want us to dive into and you want us to to go into the nuances of how to rehabilitate and get through an injury to a certain type of tissue, meaning a certain structure or an injury you've had, leave that in the comments below and we'll keep that in our hamper for things that we might come back to. So Matt, when we start talking about tissue healing timeframes, return to run criteria, can you kind of deepen our understanding of why we wanted to talk about this in the first place? Yeah, I think one of the big reasons is the most common question we get either asked in the comment section, which we love people asking, or in questions that we get through email on social media is, hey, I've got this injury. How long until I can go back to running? It's the same question we get in clinic. Everybody that wants to know the exact day, time, hour that they can return to running. And it doesn't, it's not just runners. It's every athlete or every individual looking to get back to some kind of movement, which is again, what we do. And the challenge is for the longest time in the literature and kind of across in healthcare in general, not just PT, but definitely among the healthcare system in general, it, we always went based on time. And the problem with that is time alone is not the only determining factor in getting someone back to sport. This is near and dear to me because I'm actually presenting at the combined sections meeting CSM on this with some very smart people uh, in February. So as we've kind of studied stuff and we've had – and this is not to create fear. As we've progressed in the research and kind of gone, all right, we've tried this time-based approach and we're still seeing really high injury recurrence rates. And we're wondering, you know, are people actually ready to return to sport? Um, a lot of this has come from areas like ACL or ankle sprains or Achilles ten, uh, tendon rupture, stuff where people are coming out of surgery or had a significant injury and getting back. And to be honest, after all the crazy rehab, the crazy surgical techniques, the injury rates and the recurrence rates are still pretty similar. Like we haven't really made a dent. So the big question is, are is time alone enough to determine when somebody's getting back to sport and based on the current evidence and i think i hopefully i'm not speaking for you and our clinical experience time alone is not the only thing there are other criteria and there's a couple stages we're going to talk through that help give you a better idea of when you ask all right i've got an injury or something how do i get back to this it's not to prolong this but to go let's give you an accurate description of what that looks like and give you some interesting kind of more fun goals to work on instead of just wait for however long and i think there there's some fun things that hopefully will give people some things that can, they can work on long term yeah i agree i think it is a bit of a time-based plus criterion-based return to sports. You need not just the time, but you also need the criteria. The way I like to use time, which we're going to go into this next, 
But I think that the key with time is that you can't rush biology, you can't rush healing. So there are healing timeframes that we're going to talk about, and those are in some ways the minimum standard for returning to a sport. But then you have to add on the criterion. Those criterion, what they are for each person, we have not nailed them down perfectly. Clearly, we're having re-injuries, the injury rates and running are really high. We haven't figured this out. But we're learning, and that's what we're hoping to share today. Is here are the minimum here is the minimum time that you're going to need to consider, uh, and that's going to be part of how you process when you can return. And you should start to think about certain type of criterion based yeah. measures to get you back. So it's the cross section between the two for sure. And I will to tack on to that. A lot of people when we'll tell them, "Hey, this is kind of how long it takes for you to recover from this." They'll often go, "Oh, you know." And, and to make Nathan and David proud, I'm going to cite uh, a sport outside of running. If you look at baseball wow. or football, you'll always aren't you proud? Uh, you'll yeah, always so proud. see some elite athlete that somehow got back in like a week or so, and every patient's like, "Well, that person got back." And it's there's two things on that. A, you don't know exactly what was done. And B, I can almost guarantee you that them going back quicker is not a good thing long term. Mm-hmm. Elite athletes are not a good are not good individuals to compare to. There's nothing wrong with them, but you have to realize that their career is on the line, and they're going to do things to their bodies that you really don't want to do. And the long term consequences, we're only just learning. So make sure don't compare yourself to others. Focus on you as the individual. Focusing on yourself is is huge. Uh, and the, the reality of everyone's going to have their anecdote, they're going to have their friend who recovered and it took them so long or whatever. Yeah. And I think it's just a, it's a dangerous game to play. It Very is. Very dangerous game to play. And you, you kind of touched on this too, but so we have time, we have right. the criterion that you might have to meet to get back. Yep. And it's not, it's not just the time, it's what you're doing during that time. And there are many times that we're going to make decisions either individually or through the guidance from your PT, even in like the best educated guess where you're going to do something that sets you back. And then you reset the clock. The clock has to reset and you're not going to have this perfect linear progression. Just because you reached day 21 doesn't mean that it miraculously heals. What if on day 11 you did something that you rotated it and brought it back a couple days? So there's no perfect way to measure that, but that is the nuance of this whole thing, and that's why criterion can be nice because you have time and the measure of criterion. So again, we'll circle back to those concepts as yeah, we go, but I think definitely. like that was a great intro, Matt, in terms of uh, the main question that you get and kind of some potential problems with that. So let's start talking about this time variable. So when we think about time, what do you usually think about when it comes to tissue healing and, and what's going on? Yeah, the classic thing I think about and then also I teach my students is there's a couple different phases of tissue healing. So the first one, when just when you injure something, when you're like, uh-oh, you either, you know, you step wrong or you do that one step or you finish the run, you start the run, whatever, and you're like, now this is starting to hurt. It's things have swollen up. Like you see what's called an acute injury. That is the initial phase. Things just and this things just got irritated. You're seeing things swell, get red, all that kind of stuff. That is the first stage of healing, right? It's 
inflammation, which is actually a good thing. You want that because that's how your body gets materials there to start cleaning stuff up and fixing things. But you've just really damaged the structure enough that your body's now paying attention to it. Now, this phase involves, like I said, inflammation. Your body's got to send materials there, send blood flow to a stop whatever tissue damage in terms of stop like clotting stuff off, getting a bunch of blood flow to get some like things around there, make sure that things are safe and clean. This phase can take – it starts at – this is time, you know, time point zero, and then this can last anywhere from about 7 to 14 days. You'll know it because it's usually pretty painful, and again, pain is your friend. It is trying to tell you something. It's not – oh, this is just this annoying thing that's getting in the way because I want to run my marathon next weekend. This is your body's like, hey, can we like hold on a second? I'm, I'm, I'm trying to like do damage control and figure out what's happening here. So again, it can last anywhere from seven to 14 days. Some people can get through this really, really quick. Other people take a little bit more time. It really depends on both the severity of their injury and sometimes some personal factors. As Nathan mentioned, we are so individual on our responses to this. That's why there's a huge variation of this. So this is the acute phase. What you do in the acute phase is you protect this thing. You try to protect it. You let your body do what it's going to do. But you also try to maintain as much as you can without doing further damage, trying to maintain appropriate mobility, trying to keep your muscles from atrophying, you know, not crazy lifting or anything, but just keep the muscles working. This You'll commonly hear people suggest Maybe some gentle muscle setting, like very lightly getting the muscles to fire without going through full range. But you're just doing damage control, right? That doesn't sound good, but it's like your body needs this phase. If you rush this, people commonly get stuck here and it becomes this chronically inflamed tissue. So yeah, you got to modify some stuff that might be backing off. That might also be, hey, like I just need to like rest this. And I know frequently as PTs, we're like, oh, you shouldn't rest, but Activity modification is probably the better term to make sure you protect the area so things can yeah. heal. So this this first phase, this kind of acute injury phase, is sometimes called the inflammatory phase of healing because of the types of cells that are rushing to this area that you had injuries. And usually the mnemonic, mnemonic that's used or the acronym or whatever the right term is has been like RICE or PRICE, right? So it's like right. – you know, rest, ice, compression, elevation. Um, but the newest mnemonic that's been utilized um, in the research, and I have a couple notes up here, so sorry if I refer to them down here, but it's peace and love. So, Matt, I don't know if you knew Ooh, I like that. I have peace not and love heard before. that. Uh-uh. So this is, what, this is what peace and love stands for. So the P is for protection. So it's avoiding activities that increase the pain during those first couple days to the site. Elevation yeah. still stands. That's a good way to yeah. manage pain and um, allowing blood flow. It can help with that avoid anti-inflammatories so this is a big one Uh, um early after an injury uh the inflammatory phase as matt said is a good thing we want anti-inflammation or we want inflammation to come to help with this healing process so if you are taking anti-inflammatories like higher doses of ibuprofen that can hinder your ability to go through this inflammatory phase it's a necessary part of healing swelling isn't necessarily a bad thing. So it's actually recommended to avoid anti-inflammatories early on after your injury because it can actually impede the healing. So we have protection, elevation, avoid anti-inflammatories, compression still can be good for managing some of the swelling um, that can lead to that discomfort without decreasing the inflammatory markers, right? And then education, so helping the so from a PT perspective or from your own perspective, helping yourself understand the source of what's going on so you can be confident in it. 
And then love. So L-O-V-E, L is for load. So let pain guide you, but try to load the tissue as much as you can, unless of course it's a fracture of some kind, you won't want to be loading that, um, which that's part of load is you may need to remove some load and and change the amount of activity. O is for optimism. The amount of connection between how we approach our new injury and how we go through recovery in this early phase matters. And so having a positive outlook on this and confident that it is going to heal makes a very real difference. V is vascularization. So you want to do things to promote blood flow. So you want to like be active and do some sort of aerobic activity as long as it's not, again, leading to uh, irritation, going back to the P for the protection um, on that first one there. And then E is exercise. And so those would be exercises specific to the thing, restoring mobility, restoring strength that are appropriate based on everything above. So that's peace and love. I find that a really helpful mnemonic. It's a lot more than just rice, um, a little bit more nuanced, and it takes into account a lot more of what you're going on. So peace and love during the inflammatory phase of healing. Yeah. Yeah. Just, just to clarify on rice and no rest, ice, compression, elevation, the individual that came out with that, not, was it not too long ago actually came out and said like, please don't use this. We have learned so much more. Um, I will say I am not a physician, so please take what I'm about ready to say with a grain of salt, that there are some instances that if you cannot, if your inflammatory response is so bad that you cannot sleep, you may want to consider talking with someone that can prescribe medications. In that case, a physician can help figure out you know, because sleep, if you can't sleep, then you're definitely not going to heal. Sometimes it can be worth it if it means getting things down enough that you could, so you can sleep. But that's a conversation with someone who's going to pre- pre- uh, prescribe medications. But generally, you typically want to avoid those because, yeah, inflammation's actually a good thing. It's a natural response. And this is not just like you're, oh, all natural. It's like, yeah, we actually have great evidence that it if you overdo the NSAIDs, it can really delay your healing. So, right. This first phase is really, really important. It doesn't mean don't move at all. It means you're going to need to modify things appropriately and let this tissue heal. Yep. Absolutely. So So that's phase one. (laughs) That's phase one. And these can be spread out into a bunch of other things, but these are kind of the general ones we'll teach individuals and especially new PT students. So the second phase is the subacute phase. This can start anywhere from like four to seven days up to 21 days afterwards, assuming you let the tissue heal enough to actually get here. Very strong assumption there because you can stay in the early phase if you keep irritating it. But what happens is once the inflammatory response has calmed down, now that your body's cleaned everything up, now it can start putting the scaffolding in to start repairing this stuff. So on a cellular level, it's going, all right, so we've cleaned everything up. Now we can start the building process. And part of the building process is once you get material down, you do need to appropriately move and load it to help facilitate some of the building and strengthening. You can't do too much because you can very much, if you do too much, you will break stuff down and send yourself back. As Nathan mentioned, you can have a flare up again because now the tissue is a little bit vulnerable. But you you do still need to load it appropriately. Things like, you know, for the physical therapists and, and the healthcare providers out there, isometrics, maybe introducing a little bit of tissue mobility and stretching because stretching can be fairly aggressive. Mm-hmm. Like things that just begin to load this stuff and really start to push a little bit more. This is where you can do this. But again, you have to be very careful not to overdo it and send yourself back. So this is now the – this is the subacute phase now you can start pushing this. My brain is I'm having a brain fart on the other official term for this. Proliferative. The proliferative stage. Thank you. Yeah. 
I have nothing to add for that one. It's basically, Got yeah, it. you're actually yeah. you're actually laying stuff down. You know, the first yeah. phase is like, let's try to send all of these healing factors. Now it's like, hey, let's put down the building blocks to getting you back. So, and I think, I do think loading is important there. Maybe I do have something to say. <laughs> uh, you know, loading it is important there because as it's laying down, you have to tell it, what is it supposed to lay down? Yeah. So if you are just doing complete bed rest, the cells that are laying things down have to guess about the orientation to construct its matrix, all this kind of stuff. So if you're putting the appropriate direction of load through the tissue, this is particularly true for like tendons, that's going to help with this healing phase so that it it does its proliferative act, meaning the laying down of all, whatever the building block is for the particular tissue, it's going to be done in the right direction and in the, in the best way. All right. Let's go to phase three, yeah? Oh, well, oh, I got to say, ex- first, exercise has a major impact on cellular proliferation and organization. So if you think, oh, I'm just doing these dumb exercises, like you really need to be doing things that are specific to helping the tissue figure out like how does it grow? What's the orientation as your body starts laying the fibers down? Like it has a cellular impact. What you do has a cellular impact. So please be aware of that of don't rest it completely, but you do need to load it enough that it does this, but not too much. It's like that middle ground. All right. On to the supposed final phase, although (laughs) the final phase actually has many other components, but this is generally what we were taught and organized. This is called the um, maturation phase or remodeling phase. Um, This is also called, terribly, by the way, the chronic phase of healing, (laughs) which totally confuses my patients and students. Because like, wait, is this the chronic pain phase? Like, no, it's just like the final stage. So this can be anywhere from like 21-ish days to three months and really beyond this because you really shouldn't just stop at three months. And there's a lot of tissues that need you to continually load them well beyond that. But this is where things are actually getting tough enough that you need to start pushing this stuff to really get this tissue to remodel and heal the way you want it. You still, I mean, it's, you're not, may not be ready for all out 110% effort, but you got to start pushing a little bit more and getting ready for your returning to function. You should not be going, all right, I'm going to do an all out effort at this point. Like, you know, you're racing or for other sports, like getting back into a game. This probably isn't the best time, but in terms of returning to practice or getting maybe depending on you, maybe initiating some a little more intense activities, plyos, things like that this is the phase you do it because now the tissue is really sensitive and you really need to push it because, and it's much stronger at this point. It's remodeling. You're pushing it. It's helping mature. I think what gets so confusing with the transition we're about to make is that the, you, the words acute, subacute and chronic are used in different ways in the stuff we're about to talk about. So just to make sure that we contextualize this, these phases of healing happen with an acute injury, meaning you go out and you sprain your ankle or you go and you're sprinting and you strain your hamstring. These are the phases of healing that an acute injury is going to go through. These phrases of acute, subacute, chronic are going to come back when we talk about tissue-specific healing timeframes, but they're referring to the duration in which that these symptoms have been around and the irritability of those symptoms, not to the timeline from the initial injury. So I hope that that distinction makes sense, but I do think it's really important. What we just went through is the, you just had an acute injury. Here are the timeframes of healing that the tissues will go through in the face of a new injury. And the key there is a new injury because a lot of the things that we experience, and I will say this as someone who studies master's runners, a lot of the actual injuries we see 
actually have been brewing for a long time. A great example of this, 50% of runners actually have Achilles tendinopathy and have no idea. And it's not until they actually get pain and symptoms that they're actually aware of it. So pain and inflammatory response don't always coincide with the start of an injury. That's what's called an acute on chronic injury, meaning you've had something going on for a while and only now has it gotten irritated. And these timelines really change with that. So that's why, again, the concept of maybe we need to start thinking about a criterion breach approach of you need to be able to do X, Y, and Z to prove you're out of this phase Maybe more important than, hey, it's been three days or it's been this many days. Now you can start loading this. And people go, well, I just did that. Now I'm hurt again. Like, I don't understand. It's like, well, that's because there's a lot more to it. And trying to figure out, I mean, there's some subjective stuff you can do to figure out. But sometimes things don't behave this way because it's a it's a different timeline. And that's why the criterion-based stuff's potentially more helpful, or at least not more helpful, but a good idea to think about. Okay, well, let's start to make this transition into yeah. talking about tissue-specific healing timeframes. Yeah. So yeah. I think that the main ones that we, in terms of talking about running, will go through in this episode are the healing timeframes for different grades of muscle um, tears or strains. We'll talk about tendon, and we'll also talk about bone for sure, and maybe a little bit of ligament. Um, ligamentous injuries are usually not caused by running. Usually there, maybe you did something else, but then if you are a runner, you have to think about when can I return to running? So we can talk about that, but we're going to start with muscle and work our way through. So Matt, if you want to talk us through kind of how long it takes a muscle to heal, what sort of thoughts do you have for us there? Yeah, that's a great question. And what we're not going to dive into the deep physiology of this, but just know that a muscle damage, usually called a muscle strain, there's usually the delayed onset muscle soreness that people know of. And that is actually technically muscle damage. You have done exercise and created damage and your body needs to recover from that to heal. That's why we suggest, if you've listened to other training episodes, you shouldn't be hammering runs every single day. If your body's sore, it's trying to tell you something. It's It needs a chance to recover and adapt to what you've did. So that takes a couple days. That's normal. That's why you shouldn't train really hard every single day. The hard, easy model works a lot better. But then we actually get to the to the point where you've actually caused some significant damage where it's like, okay, now it's not just I'm sorry. It's this really hurts. Like I heard something like something kind of like I felt something snapper, like like shooting something like that. I'm sorry. I'm shaking the table uh, for those watching on YouTube. (laughs) I need to get my elbows off there. Um, A grade one is kind of the lowest level of a muscle strain. And that can take anywhere from a couple days up to a couple, like five to six weeks, and sometimes a little bit longer to truly recover from that. And that's the, the, the first level. Like you push the muscle really beyond its capacity in that moment, not just, oh, you worked it, now it's sore. So that can take up to a couple weeks to really recover from. Grade two is now you're doing a significant amount of damage there. You've got real like ruptures in the muscle. You may have definitely heard a pop and things like that, like within the muscle belly. And you might be having a hard time walking on this and definitely producing force is difficult. That can take at minimum, not a couple days, three to four weeks up to sometimes several months, like three to six months at times for that kind of thing to heal because the body's not just going to do some microscopic stuff. It's now got a macroscopic large tear it's got to heal. And that's something you're going to go, hey, I might need to think about rehab and definitely activity modification, not, hey, I got to wait a week or two. It This might take some a little bit more serious stuff. And then we have grade three, which is you have really ripped the muscle. You might even be able to see it Actually, within that, these are not fun. I've seen a couple of these on field doing sports PT and uh, 
The first one I saw, I actually passed out, so I was completely useless. What? Um, as I saw a big te- – yeah, it was terrible. I did not know that story. Yeah. So I have, I have a tendon rupture story that will tell and the muscle one where I saw somebody's uh, hamstring tear. Oh. Um and uh, both passed out. Like I saw it, saw the the bruising immediately that happens. It's really classic with the you hamstring muscle out tear. Or the, or yeah, the, I did. You did so for both of them. I was a I was a resident, <laughs> and I was with our PTATs uh, over at Claremont Pomona, uh, one of the track meets, and we saw a sprinter tear her hamstring, and we went oh, over, and I you could actually see in the biceps femoris, like. In the muscle belly, there was a clear like tear there and you could see it through the skin and it was immediately bruising. And I was assisting anyway, but I kind of saw that step back and then fell backwards on the field. <laughs> wow. Much better now after doing that a couple times. But I was like, whoa. And it was also looking at this poor girl's face. Like she saw it and knew what was going on. It was it was pretty bad. So those definitely – you definitely need rehab. In certain cases, there is a potential that you might actually need surgery to repair that stuff, not to freak you out. But that's definitely going to take six to eight weeks up to like six to 12 months for this to really heal and really get through that. So that is a serious muscle injury. So you can tell I'm starting to go – we're starting to go up to six to 12 months. That's kind of expanded beyond that like 21-day to three-month things. These – Depending on the type of injury, the tissue healing phases are going to dramatically change. And that's just for muscle. Did I miss yeah, anything I, on that? No, I think that's good. I think just keep it in mind that, you know, these specific grades are a continuum. You know, there are this, we've, we've created these numbers to try to really quantify a spectrum that has very incremental things. But in general, you know, a grade one strain, you're not going to see a whole lot of bruising. You might, you might just feel like I just felt it kind of pulling on me. It felt now it feels really tight. Um, and so that's going to be where you have that, you know, anywhere from very quick where it might resolve really fast. Someone who has a grade one might just be, it might be very small, couple, couple muscle fibrils involved or something like that. But then some people, it's going to take them multiple weeks to try to come back. Today is a Sunday. The Packers just um, lost again, uh, which is fine. But, you know, I don't know what happened to Christian Watson, but he's been battling a hamstring thing and he kind of pulled up again. But I don't know if he tweaked his knee because he went down odd. But it wouldn't be surprising because it can take, you know, a very long time for these, you know, muscle strains to come back. Grade two, if you are seeing some level of bruising in the area of the muscle, it's likely that you're beyond kind of this grade one type strain and you're into this grade two. So you can kind of push yourself into the like month plus category, which again, that's a long time. That doesn't mean you can't do activity. It's just, you have to modify based on the symptoms. Um, and then it, yes, you've, you hit the the phase three, the the grade threes are going to be a bit more obvious. They might be visual. They will definitely have tons of that bruising that you see immediately. Um, but and I, I will say though, sometimes bruising doesn't show up for a day or so. If you've had like a deep a deep strain, you might feel it, but no bruising. Then maybe a day or two later, it works its way to the surface and it kind of pops out at you. So just keeping that in mind. Um, yeah, the the immediate ones are kind of scary. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you know something's going on there. Yeah, you're like, uh. I think the next interesting one is, oh, do you have something else for muscle before we yeah. move forward? No, I thought we're, we're, we're going to move forward to tendon, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, do you, go ahead. Take it go away. Ahead. No, you, you take it. It's fine. Okay. Uh, so with tendons, I think that this is actually a pretty interesting one because, as Matt said, there are so many of us who are walking around with what with 
per uh, an ultrasound image or an MRI would tell us that we have a tendinopathy, meaning an unhealthy <clears throat> tendon based on the cellular matrix, but we have no idea because it's not symptomatic. So I think this is where it gets a little bit interesting when it comes to the healing time frame that we talked about generally. And if you have, but if you have an acute strain of a tendon, that can take anywhere from three weeks to go through its healing time frame. So if you've really irritated your post-tib tendon or your peroneal tendon or your Achilles tendon, it can honestly take three weeks before it's even on a good track and it can still go up to a couple months. Even the smallest um, level of strain to uh, a tendon can take that long, mainly because they're the main transducer of force from the muscle to the bone. And so they are always going to be active. If you go a little bit more subacute again, and this is not so much the, the degree at which it's torn, but also the duration in which it's been around, um, it can take anywhere from two months all the way up to six months to a year. So think of how big that spectrum is. It's because everyone responds differently. We haven't been able to nail down how to fix these things based on these categories. And then chronic ones can take, I think ultimately the message to take, if you've had a chronic tendinopathy, these are things that can last more than a year and it can take a really long time. Um, and go ahead, Matt. And Dathan and I have both talked about this with tendons, and this is something that I tell any of my master's runners or anybody that's had like a tendinopathy before. You, when your pain and your is going to go away long before the tendons actually healed. So when we tell people, hey, I love to give like one or two exercises and just say, hey, you're going to do these three times a week for at least nine months, if not the rest of your life. Not that your tendon's going to take the rest of your life to heal. It just takes tendons a long time to remodel. They don't get the same blood flow. They don't respond the same way that muscles do. And so it takes a lot longer. It's not that you can't do it. You just got to invest a lot more time in them. It's worth it because tendons are super important, especially in running. Um, there's some very cool literature that's come out recently that's blown my mind about muscle tendon interactions, but you really got to make sure you load those things for a long time because they're just slow. They're like, I'm going to take my time. I'm just going to hang out here. And then if you push them too fast, they get pissed off and can get inflamed again. So it's like, they're kind of annoying, but they're yeah, really helpful. Tendons so. are, I would say tendons are the most naggy of all yeah. of the injuries. They just, they stick around and it shows based on the healing time frame. So it makes sense, which sometimes for runners or for whoever's healing from some kind of an injury, that's helpful just to know that this is normal, that these take this long. I do think part of the reason they take long, um, especially for runners, is the nature in which tendons work. And you kind of just started yeah. referencing this. But I went to a conference, oh, it was like two or three years ago now, but it was new research on, on the function of the calf complex during running. And the thought was that as you're running, the calf muscles go through this eccentric loading and concentric loading. But what they found is that the calf muscles, so the gastroc and soleus, are actually isometric. They hold they themselves don't change tight. Length. They just yeah. stay in this taut, you know, position. And you're going to watch people running and be like, no, I see their muscle flexing. Yes, it's flexing, but it's not changing length. What it's doing is it's holding really still. And what's happening is the Achilles is going through a ton of stretch and then recoil over and over. So the amount of work that the tendons are doing as we're running is so, so high. They have to go through a ton of strain and handle a lot of load. And so Imagine just trying to return to running on any sort of tendon injury. You're putting so much demand through it. So I also think 
Maybe a reason why it's so long is because we don't manage the load appropriately. We don't give it the right amount of stimulus. We overwork it too quickly and we just continue to perpetuate the the process. And part of that's because we're learning about what it means to prepare a tendon for activity. So tendons are naggy. They stick around for a long time. It can be it can be tough. I'm going to argue that it, I think there is a certain population that overloads them. I think there's also the group that underloads them where they go, oh, complete rest and yes. tendons are super sensitive to complete rest. In fact, they do not actually do well unless you've got a rupture, like unless you've had surgical rupture. Like if you have a tendinopathy and you just let it rest, it can get worse because tendons definitely are sensitive to load. They just take forever to respond for it. So I think we're not very good at knowing how to appropriately Optimal. load them. Yeah. And that's kind of key. Also that, that was my exact thing about the, like the, the calf complex where I learned that partway through my PhD. And I was like, yeah. I felt so stupid when I, I thought like, I thought <laughs> I studied running and I'd have a doctorate in physical therapy and I'm working on my second one. And I'm like, I didn't know that. What? It's, it's new though. Right? Like that. Yeah. It, it, I just, I don't know. I feel like I felt so, st- I mean, I'm not judging for the, a lot of audience members are probably like, Oh, I didn't know that either. I just the amount of studied running. I, I was like, how, I also think Dude. so I think to the to to the everyday runner or even to the competitive runner this realization probably doesn't mean a whole lot but I think right. to our physical therapists who are listening who are trying to help people rehabilitate yeah. I think what it does is it emphasizes the importance of including plyometric work into your and, and quick bounding work yeah. into your rehab because if right. you're just doing end eccentrics are, end stage. are very yeah. yes yes yeah. once you're in this further out stage but like the the importance of of eccentric loading and heavy loading has shown to be there. We know this, but to get activity specific with it, when it comes to running, the importance of bounding activities during your rehab process is going to be invaluable. You have to include it. And I think that that's what this realization did for me in my mind was, okay, when I'm working with somebody who's having this going on, we got to, we got to figure out how to incorporate that once we get to the point where they can tolerate it. So. I think that's a good point. We do need to still talk about ligament and bone, but I think that comment about progression of activity for like a criterion-based return to sport is really important going, oh, there's these different things. You do need eccentric or heavy slow resistance training to build stiffness back in the tendon and the musculoskeletal unit, but then you also have to teach it how to do the lengthening and shortening because it's yeah. different than a muscle. So that's, exactly. that's an important thing, but we'll talk about that in a second. I also want to say this about uh, I hate to backtrack to muscle, but I want to I want to backtrack to muscle because I think there are a couple muscle related injuries, or, or let me put it this way: the muscle that you have an injury in may dictate how long it takes you to return to running, and this is where the criterion based stuff will come in handy later. But for someone who has a tear of their soleus muscle, it's going to be a little bit more naggy than someone who has a hamstring strain to return to easy running because of the demand and the load that the calf carries, regardless of how fast you're running in comparison to something like the hamstring or hip flexors or something like that. So I, I think that we're giving these time frames, but it does matter which tissue, which muscles involved, which tendons involved, because that's it's when it pertains to pertains to return to running because its job when running is different. Okay, let's let's keep moving forward. Let's talk about bone. Let, let's just yeah, let's, let's hit bone we'll and then bone. and then yeah. we'll we'll move on to our criteria yeah. and stuff. Now so I, I know go I ahead just with talked, bone. No, I think I just talked to Rich Willie, but exactly. All right. Yeah. <laughs> go, but listen, you're, go listen to Rich Willie to say it. Honestly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so be aware. So bone can t- takes quite a bit of time. And it's not just 
the actual getting through those different phases, but it's also the fact that that remodeling and maturation and those are much much longer for bone. And there's actually some evidence that this stuff can go like into multiple years to actually heal. Those who have had stress fractures and fractures, if you jump back into things too quick, you have a very high risk of recurrence. And so please listen to our talk with Rich Willie because your nutrition is really, really important. Optimal loading is really important because bone also does respond to load. It's very important to appropriately load it, but it can very easily get overloaded. And how much stimulus it actually takes for the bone to adapt is not that much. Like it blew my mind to go like, you know, when you're running only the first few minutes is when you actually get bone stimulus. After that, it's just repetitive and you can eat like overdo it. So bone healing, typically what's said is anywhere from six to eight weeks up to three to six months, if not longer to for bone to really, really heal, which is probably why we have a really high recurrence rate in runners because people like to get back to stuff really quick, right? I think I think an important part with the bone t- healing time frame too is a lot of the research is done regarding like full fractures to like trabecular bone or whatever, or I may have said the wrong thing, but whatever, like to a long bone and having a fracture and watching the healing of that, whereas stress fracture might might present a little bit differently. But I think the minimum you're looking at for a fracture of some kind is going to be your six to eight weeks. And that's assuming that you have all of the things needed to heal well, nutrition, sleep, all that kind of stuff. The other big difference between like a stress fracture healing and a tendon is that the recommended pain level for bone is zero. Whereas the recommended pain level that's safe to allow healing and tendon might be a five out of 10. So depending on what tissue it is, you have to change the amount of discomfort or pain that's allowable during the activity. So yeah, bone can take a while to heal. I think returning, at a, I'd say at a minimum, you're looking at six weeks of no pain with the activity um, and then slowly finding a way to come back, whether that's through, like I have the, I have like the lever system to offload a little bit, like water running. There's lots of different ways to try to introduce some load to bone without having to go full body weight. But we can talk about that as we bring in the nuance with criterion-based progression through rehabilitation and return to running. So when you think, can you just help us again? We talked about time-based return to activities based on, oh, attendance going to take three to six months, wait till that time, and then just go do it. That doesn't seem to be enough. So we want to add in criterion-based. Can you help us understand what does it mean to have a criterion for progression? And then how do you conceptualize it when it comes to rehab? Right. And I want to encourage people that for a lot of these things, it's not, oh, I have to wait until six months when this is healed to start this thing. This is what you do within tolerance while you are going through this. So that doesn't mean, oh, I can't run until six months. It means depending on the tissue injury, you have things you need to be working on to prove that you are ready to run either by that time or beforehand and running can become part of your loading program if appropriate. So don't panic with this. So the keys behind this is it's not just, oh, the tissue's healed, you've returned to run. There are things that are going to happen, right? We mentioned in the acute phase, you have pain and inflammation, right? If that is too great, you shouldn't be running. You need to be able to get that under control, not forcibly, but be able to actually demonstrate, yeah, the tissue is stable enough for me to load appropriately with higher level activity. So that is kind of that first stage of of kind of step-by-step going, hey, I need to go through this. Then there's also, you need to be able to prove that you have decent mobility and movement control, meaning, hey, after the inflammation's calmed down, 
do you actually have the appropriate motion to get through this? So if you're if you sprained your ankle, now it's all puffed up and super stiff. If you don't have any ankle motion, any dorsiflexion, how are you going to run appropriately? Or now you're going to be compensating and hobbling along and it's going to cause other issues or re-injure the tissue. So that kind of like second part is going, all right, do you have decent postural control? Can you control core, for example, because that tends to load things down lower? And then do you have the appropriate range of motion for the requirements of running? That's at least 20 to to 30 degrees of dorsiflexion, at least 50 degrees of plantar flexion, depending on who you ask. And that's just the ankle. That's not the knee. That's not the hip. And I'm saying the ankle because that's what I'm presenting on at CSM. But I'm just using it as an example. Do you have enough range of motion for the task that's being required? So that's part two. Can you get your range of motion back? Part three is, do you have the nerve sensation, also called proprioception or kinesthesia, to be able to tell where your body is? When you have pain and inflammation, that does inhibit your body's sense of awareness, going, where the heck is my foot? People might notice, like, hey, if you sprain your ankle, you're all of a sudden like, why is there a delay in me figuring out where my ankle is? Or like, where's my ankle? That's a real thing. Your brain has kind of somewhat lost connections, got a little bit fuzzy, right? There's some protective mechanisms there to kind of go, hey, can we decrease pain? But it's also some of the nerves need to learn to refire. So there's proprioceptive stuff. That's why your PT or person's having you stand on one leg, do like eyes closed, trying to get your nerve sensations back really important because if you're going to run on something, you better have a good idea where your feet are or else you're going to be slamming into the ground and who knows what's going to happen. So that's kind of the next stage of going, okay, am I ready to return safely to run? The next thing is, do you actually have the coordination and muscle performance to run, right? Running requires a high level of force. It is a series of single leg hops. And that's not just something to mess around with. That requires a lot of calf strength, a lot of quad strength, eccentric hamstring strength, and a good amount of hip strength at different phases. You don't want to be missing one of those because then you're going to be compensating and you might either re-injure the tissue as you because you're going to ask it to do too much because it doesn't have the capacity to handle it, or you're going to load something else as you compensate. So making sure you have adequate strength either in other areas and in the tissue to tolerate what you're going to ask is kind of that next step going, hey, can you produce enough force and can you control it? Then can you be able to handle the higher level loads like plyometrics or the hopping required? So it's not just how much force can your muscle produce, but how quickly and how long you can do that. And there's also the final level of, hey, I know we talk about the variability in in running, but running is a skill. It's not just, you don't just throw yourself out there. You kind of need to learn to figure out what mechanics work for you in a way that doesn't potentially overload the tissue. And I'm not saying change your running form, but running is a skill. You need to work on it. Once you have all those other things set, then you need to be able to prove, hey, I'm working on the ability to run. Whether it's, can I tolerate running for five minutes and then I need to take a two-minute walk five, so on the run walk method, but you need to, the final stage is going, how do I use running as my rehab? And that means you have to ease into it and use running as a loading program, which means don't go run your marathon you planned. It means you need to ease into this. So that's kind of, this is called the pyramid of of rehab, kind of looking through these things. And we'll dive into maybe a couple of what those things are like, but anything, anything I think you think I missed? No, I think, I think that's a good progression where you're going from kind of these Manage the manage the thing at hand and the symptoms and moving towards now, let's increase the requirement of motion. Let's increase the requirement of body awareness. Let's increase how well the motor units and the muscles and your yeah. body can move through certain functional movements with the right muscle performance and then work on the specific skill. The this this pyramid, the functional rehab pyramid, is this from what you're presenting at CSM? 
And yes. is it something that you've created or is it from it, an, another it, uh, source here? It's it's from a friend of mine, Michael G, Dr. Michael Jean Favor, who was kind of the mastermind behind our presentation. But this is kind of combined after a systematic review we did on uh, trying to figure out if there was good criteria for return to sport after foot and ankle injury. We found it was terrible. So it's something that we kind of started and he ran with. Um, and there's there's lots of different other sources, but this specific one that I'm referencing, I have, didn't go through the whole thing, is something that he kind of came up with, but others have also come up with something fairly similar. That's great. It's a, it's a really nice resource, especially, again, I think for those who are helping people progress through rehab as physical therapists, it's a really nice uh, matrix. But when we think about how does this pertain to return to running, how can we know? So you you know, you know, mentioned a couple things. Do I have the right mobility? Do I have right. the right muscle performance? Do I have the right functional right. movements? How can we, as runners in our houses, right. what sort of criterion can we meet to know, hey, I'm ready to t- return to running? And obviously, this is going to differ depending on the condition, but right. what are some, some types of tests that you can consi- right. that you consider? Yeah. And this is where we talk about criteria, right? Instead of just going, Oh, I have this number of minutes going, Hey, there's kind of some standards and none of these tests, by the way, by themselves are effective. All the current literature on return to sport, be it running, be it post ACL repair, be it any of this stuff. There's no single test that tells you, you need a battery of tests because each test is going to measure something different. Also be aware with what I and we say, it's going to change depending on where the tissue injury is and what it is. As Nathan mentioned, right, if you have a bone stress injury and you're doing stuff, even if you can do it very well, but you have pain, absolutely not. You're not ready to return, right? Versus a tendon, you might have a little bit of pain because actually there's some good evidence that a little pain with loading is actually completely normal, if not sometimes a good thing, right? So depending on who you ask. So this is going to vary a lot. But what I might suggest, just a couple tests that might be helpful. One of the classic ones to begin with, right? Just do you have ankle range of motion? Can you bend? Super easy one. Hey, if you uh, really basic, I forgot, why am I forgetting the the functional movement screen, right? Can you just do a squat, okay? Can your knee get, I know people don't always like this, but can your knee get over your toes? How much ankle dorsiflexion do you have? There's also a lunge like wall test you can use, but... The criterion for that gets a little fancy, and I would I was just, hey, do you have enough ankle dorsal flexion? Can you squat and get your knees over your toes? If you can't do without that your, without with, your heels without, coming up. Right, without your heels coming off. If you can't do that, it might be a good thing to work on. Not everyone can do that, but that might be one thing to go, hey, do I have enough dorsiflexion, knee and hip mobility to actually get there? And I'm not saying squat like butt to the ground. I'm just saying, can you do some of the basics? That's like an early, hey, can I do this without too many symptoms? Another thing that you might want to consider is, hey, how many calf races can I do? Because your calf is the most, one of the most important muscles for propulsion and running, specifically as Nathan mentioned, soleus. How many single leg calf races can I do? And this is, again, not a strength test. This is much more of an endurance and capacity test. Uh, There's some interesting research on that. But can you get 20 to 25 single leg heel races with good range of motion, not these tiny little quick ones? Can you do this and get through at least 25 on each side? I've heard different criteria of doing like 5 by 25 or 5 by 30 to actually demonstrate this. But typically, I'll just go, hey, can you just demonstrate basic muscle capacity of the calf? to be able to handle some of the stuff. You look like you want to say something. Yeah, what yeah. I have people do with that one, just to make sure that you can be consistent with yourself and not just what I say, like, don't you don't want to jackhammer your way through right. 
Catphrases. I have people put on a metronome at 60 beats per second. I like that. Uh, wow. Yeah. Wow. 60 beats per minute. <laughs> yeah. 60 beats per second. I don't, whatever. Um, 60 beats per Even minute. Even the hummingbirds are going, dang, yeah. that, I can't do that. I'm just kidding. <laughs> and you go to the, to the, yeah. You'd go up, down, up, up, down to the 60 beats per minute. Yeah. And, like that. and that's a good way to slow yourself down. So, so far you've kind of said you want to make sure you have mobility and you can check yeah. that through that deep squat, making yeah. sure your heels can stay down or just, you know, go into, like you said, that wall test. You can kind of just slide yeah. your foot away from the wall and see if you can keep your heel down and touch your knee to the wall. So you got mobility check there. You've got one idea of a calf heel raise test for yeah. muscle. I kind of went a little, I kind of went a little ahead on the pyramid on that one. You did. That was a little yeah, bit further up. Yeah, the one in between but, would be kind of that proprioception. Yeah. Um, so and what do you same, got for that? Yeah. So a common one is, Hey, can you balance on each leg and can you close your eyes and hold that for a decent amount of time? So I've typically heard this be at least 10 seconds, but if I'm going to really determine somebody's ready, I want to see, can you hold on and not fall over without holding on anything with your eyes closed for at least 30 seconds, right? You don't have to be standing completely still. A little bit of motion is totally normal because that tells you you're adjusting, but that's kind of how you know. Hey, if you take out your vision because people like to cheat, you've got a lot of different proprioceptive centers, your inner ear, your eyes, and all the ligaments and the nerves that go through all the tissues through your extremities. But if you can do a single leg balance test with your eyes closed for 30 seconds, that might demonstrate that, hey, you might have enough proprioceptive stuff or capacity to handle moving on to the next level, right? And I know I, that would be probably like doing some single leg calf raises. Yeah. As opposed to jumping one other, in order. Yeah. And then you have the calf raises. Another one I would add into the muscle kind of endurance type would be a single leg sit to stand from a standard yeah. chair and doing, and again, there's no standard number. So I can't, I'm going to tell you what I do with people. Um, I have them do at least seven where they have good control, single yeah. leg on each leg. They have, that they're able to control all the way up and all the way down. They're not plopping down that. And that will get instead of the calf, that's looking at more quad hamstring glute complex on a single leg. I have to say, I've also really enjoyed use. So the previous ones I was taught was using the single leg squat test to be able to do at least 10 with good control, good alignment of the trunk, hip or trunk, pelvis, hip, knee and ankle. But I got to say the same thing. I really enjoyed more of the sit to stand with a single leg because it requires a lot more strength and really power. If you do it for time, you're trying to see how quickly I can do it um, to get up from that seated position. So I also really like the single leg sit to stand um, as another measure of going, Hey, can you do seven of these seven to 10 with good form and good alignment? Doesn't mean you have to have perfect alignment, but you have good control over it is a really great kind of somewhat strength test of the lower extremity that gets trunk, hip, pelvis, knee, ankle, but definitely agree with that. Great. And then what would you put last? I I know what I do with my kind of one of my closest to return, but but what do you, what do you do? There, I have a couple of variations on this that I've experimented with over the years, but I would say in general, the biggest thing is being able to do single leg hops and not just one, by the way, because running is a series of them, not just one. That You can start out with a single leg hop, like single leg hop for distance or modified single leg hops, but you've got to be able to do repeated single leg hops in some manner to demonstrate that, yes, you are able to handle the plyometric and power demands that come with running. And I usually have people do about 20, uh, again, again, no magic behind this number. It's not studied. It's not perfect. But 25 gives us a good idea of how irritable are any tissues that are healing and can you control that and actually and go on one leg? Right. And one thing I, 
Go ahead. Go I will also say that quality is also important. So this is something that I'm learning as I'm studying tendons, especially Achilles. It's not just boom up, boom, like, like come out down and land. As Nathan mentioned earlier, we both talked about it's getting that elastic, like recoil of being able to Bounding. get up and then actually bounce off the ground, not just sit and come back off because if you want the 10, especially if you're doing 10 rehab, if you really want those tendons to function the way you, you they're supposed to, you got to have very quick elastic recoil. That means your ground contact time or the amount of times on the ground has to be super quick. And that can be a really, I will give a little uh, interesting thing of what I'm seeing with the Achilles tendinopathy and the masters that I'm studying. That is a very, that seems to be a very good indicator haven't done, have not finalized stats yet, but the their ground contact time is something that is really interesting and can be very telling about Achilles tendinopathy and their readiness to return to sport. Yeah, that's interesting. So quality, not just how many, just like we're talking about the quality of your abilities, not just how much time is very similar with some of the, the single leg hop tests as well. One thing I do want to say about these, you know, kind of what we're giving are like, oh, are you ready to go back to running? Maybe try these things and see if you're ready. Yeah. None of these are complete and uh-uh. none of them are actually completely necessary. For example, I, I'm coaching a runner who has, uh, she, she got diagnosed in the last two years with episodic ataxia. And so for her to stand on a single leg with her eyes closed isn't going to happen. That And that isn't a requirement for her to run. She has goals with her running and we're working on those things and it, we relate it back to her needs based on her specific condition. But I, I use that example to say these are not exclusive, saying they're, um, if you can't do these, then you are not allowed to run. Uh-uh. They're, not, they're, not that, they're not that good. hate to say it. We are giving some ideas, but they're not that good. It's also not comprehensive. Just because you can do these things means you should run. So it's, it's very much incomplete, but it yeah. is a starting point, and it hits some of that pyramid that Matt was talking about to be able to rehabilitate an injury and just trying to check some of those things easy on your own. We're obviously biased. We're PTs. We think PTs are pretty cool. If there's a PT who can be tracking these things for you, all the better. Cause I know I am not objective with myself ever. And so I need a PT when I am rehabbing, I need a coach when I'm training because I like to have somebody who's actually honest with me because I'm not honest with myself. (laughs) That's why I made the comment earlier. You bring up a great point that it's not just one test. Even if you look at the literature, there's not a lot of stuff on like, when do you know when to return to running? Like there's some decent stuff on like post ACL replacement, but a lot of other injuries, not so much because we really don't know. Nobody's done the research on that. But what we do know is one single test is not indicative of your ability to or not to run. It's just some ideas going, you know what? These are some of the things required of running. It might be helpful for you to work on these just to make sure your return to run goes a little bit better. These might be good things. It's also more fun that if you are waiting to return to run, you're like, well, I know I need this much time to heal. Why not work on your capacity to be able to do that so that when you do return to run, these things might be able to help you stay a little bit more injury-free, but we also don't have great evidence on that, to be honest. This is more theoretical just being honest mm-hmm. yep we're not there yet but that's okay nope. that's we're working where we on it start that's where yep. we gotta start so we clearly are almost at the top of the hour of this recording and so we're not going to be going specifically into posterior uh tibialis tendon issues so we will save those questions for the day where we can circle back to that condition so if you submitted a question thank you for doing that we will 
you know, we have them saved. And so we'll come back to those or we'll gather them again if we, <laughs> if we lose them. But, uh, the, the, the plan will be someday to circle back to that. But this was a, I had a lot of fun hearing your thoughts on this topic of what does it mean for a tissue to go through its healing time frame and what can we start thinking about for return to learn criteria and we will continue these conversations with specific tissues in the future but i hope you have a great night or a great day everybody